Welcome to The Last Call. It's a conversation between two boozy hacks. My name is John Sweeney and I'm in London. And joining me in New York is my old pal, Mike Weiss. How are you? Good. You're getting very uh, Santa Claus in your the, in your it, beard it, situation there. I it, like it. It's good. <laughs> Do you ever it's see the photo of Francis Ween, the private eye editor, every Christmas he posts, where he yes. had this fuck all shaggy ass white beard and he's got a santa hat on that's you're, you're looking a bit weenish at the it, moment it, it um it um it comes off um it's better in russian um yeah i'm bad santa claus uh, or I'm bad father <laughs> frost anyway um I'm, I'm getting bored with it because well i um, i don't want to go into too much detail but i had some soup today and you know it's a mess so i'm the problem is all the barbershops have been closed during the mini lockdown and london's so just a shop the pubs are open but you have to go for a substantial That's important meal. thing yeah and I, I booked to go for a substantial meal with some mates um from lbc which is the it's my new bbc the same kind of uh, nonsense you have to uh, deal with um, some bureaucrats, some really funny. I don't know, John. I, I would say LBC is putting up with quite a lot. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In terms of your behavior, yeah. You know, they're, they're um, uh, uh, it's nice. And I feel, well, anyway, I'm only freelance, but I'm putting it on. By the way, um, let's do this for fun. What are you drinking? I am back to my Japanese gin. I'd gone off it for a spell, done Bombay Sapphire done aviation gin you know the the actor ryan reynolds brand which i quite liked but i keep coming back to this this is the you know Suntory, the the famous japanese whiskey distillery they they got into the gin game and this it's good and it's it's relatively cheap so I'm, um, I'm actually, i quite um, like the design of the bottle as well i'm drinking um anti-malarial prophylactic as i like to call gin and tonic <laughs> uh, this is a um it's a sip smith's kind of lemony gin um i've obviously added my own lemons um and then, you know you know it's a, a quite nice brand that we i should buy a bottle of and i haven't had it in ages it's called bar hill and it's infused with honey <clears throat> which sounds a bit ick until you actually taste it and the nice thing about it is you don't need to cut it with anything you don't have to put tonic you don't have to put club soda you can because the honey sort of sweetens it and it's its own sort of flavor so try that if you can get it I tend to, um, when I'm looking for that kind of stuff, I, I tend just to drink raw alcohol. Um, but uh, in a, in a very, because I'm a, I'm a I don't want to mess with your, your heroin addiction. So let's not <laughs> I, get too fancy I here. Don't, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm all, I've got such an addictive personality. I've never done, never ever in my life done hard drugs because I'm afraid. Because I think if yeah. I went there, I'd, I'd lose it. But this, by the way, this is very generous of me because I'm a massive Ramona, and Botham is a um, is a Brexiteer. But anyway, I want to buy Australian wines for a reason. And um, anyway, this is what I found: Australian wine in my local supermarket, Waitrose, Botham. And so the mm. moment I've knocked off the gin and tonic, which will be about two minutes, I'm going to knock this back, and uh, we'll talk through it. Anyway, so both of them is a, is a Brexiteer brand because the owner is a Brexiteer, but it's yeah, he's, a, he's a great, great cricketer. Cricket is a game 
but you don't understand, you people. That, it's true, I don't understand it, but uh, C.L.R. James, who is a very talented Trotskyist journalist and historian, he was a great lover of cricket and wrote a book which actually made me interested in cricket for about 10 minutes until I realized it's cricket. But um, it has been written of compellingly. Oh, no, no, it's beautiful. Uh, now, um, let's have a bit of politics just for fun. Whose country is more fucked, the United States or the United Kingdom? Uh, well, you're getting the uh, vaccine next week, I believe. So I'd say you're less fucked or in a, in a better state of unfuckedness than we. Uh, it's going to take us at least a month till the end of December. I think the order of priority is relatively and will be relatively the same. You know, people in elder care homes, first responders or healthcare professionals, then people with underlying conditions. And then it goes down till eventually people such as myself get it, by which point I'll be dead. So <laughs> it won't matter. <laughs> um, my, um, my daughter um, is organizing volunteers to to give uh, give the jabs or process the jabs and uh, whenever i call her she says i'm busy um but what she delights in telling me is that actually you're i'm i'm 62 uh slightly overweight with some people say uh, a liking for the drink but actually fundamentally i'm healthy i've got no pre-existing health conditions and she likes to say you're not you're not a priority, Dad. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> and she could, she could easily. I th- I don't quite understand what she does. Also, I think I think you've you've subscribed to the Lukashenko anti-COVID regimen of just drinking yourself silly and no. basically killing any foreign agent <laughs> that might enter your bloodstream. So um, no, no, no. Don't compare me with the uh, tyrant ruler of Belarus. Thank you very much, my wife. No, I feel that. Um, I do like a drink, and um, and I think it's good for uh, gin and tonic. It's good for preventing malaria. It's a problem in London these days with global warming. Um, that's not true. It's cold outside. <laughs> but um, anyway, I don't. So basically, the eighty-year-olds, the people who work in hospitals, quite rightly get it first. Then the seventy-year-olds. Then everybody up to 65. And so my daughter's saying, you know, you're not going to get it till mid-February. <laughs> There's nothing I can do, she says. La, la, da, da, da. And anyway, I, I can't, I don't quite know what she does, but uh, it's important. Um, and the kind of subtle suggestion is that what I do for a living isn't important. I don't really do it for a living anyway. Yeah, but you're, you're quite safe. You don't go anywhere. You don't go outside. Well, if you go oh, outside, you're, you do this. You won't go to the barber shop to trim your beard. I'm going like okay. And the other thing is, I'm gonna the moment the barber shop's open, I'm gonna uh, get it, within a few days. The next time we do this, I'll look like a baby. Uh huh. Okay, uh, maybe not. But um, no, I want. I, I like having a beard because you don't have the. It's kind of warm in winter, but this is too long, and I want to get rid of it. Anyway, it has Trump. Has Trump gone yet? No, he's still there. But he's he's kind of gone in spirit, I think. You know, he's now he won't concede. Um, they, there's reporting su- that suggests he won't attend the inauguration, and he'll actually use January 21, I believe, is the date uh, to announce he's going to run again in 2024. So, I mean, it's a massive fuck you to Joe Biden and to the country because we've never seen anything like this. But in a way, you know, it, it's interesting because I think. 
you could you could almost well I, I shouldn't say this because every time I think we've hit a nadir in sort of the way our politics works and the way that this country is run, I'm then surprised to see that no, actually it was a false bottom and it keeps going lower and lower. So you know, Giuliani giving a press conference in front of the gardener's shop <laughs> next to the the butt plug merchant and the mortician. I thought, ah, okay. I think we've, I think we've seen the, the the real end of this whole affair. And then Giuliani gives a press conference where he has what looks like liquid shit running down either cheek, but turns out to have been some forbidding combination of sweat and like over the counter cheap ass hair dye, like just for men, as you might buy in Albania or something. And so now, you know, even Trump has said you're making me look like a fool which, I mean, doesn't need much help to do that, but even if Trump is acknowledging that his legal team, including this batshit, I forget her name, I mean, it's it's come and gone, the one who got up on telly and said- Powers? Yeah, that's it, who said Hugo Chavez, who's been dead for seven years, was responsible for electoral fraud. Um, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's almost like this, it's like Junior Soprano in the nursing home in the last episode of that series, where Tony comes to him and he's like recounting RFK getting shot at the Ambassador Hotel. And Tony kind of reminds him you were a mafioso. And at one point, the head of our family. And Junior is sort of like, his mind is gone. It's mush. He's just kind of grabbing whatever is in his depleted consciousness. That's sort of where they are. You know, mm. it's like, well, what, what can we say today? Oh, yeah, the commies. Remember the commies? The commies done it, right? No, 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 no. It's the CIA. They're responsible. Uh, and then Trump is suggested as the FBI, which is his old, you know, his, his mainstay, the deep state. And nobody, it, it just, nobody really seems to give a shit now. We've already moved on to Biden's picks for various cabinet or administration posts being attacked by Republicans. This woman, Neera Tandon, who's, you know, very kind of died in the wool, Democratic establishment type, very pro-Hillary, ran Center for American Progress. Um, I don't have an opinion one way or the other about her, but I know that the far left hate her as much, if not more, than the GOP. And the GOP, though, is saying, well, we don't like her tweets. We find them unpleasant and nasty. And, you know, to his credit, Joe Biden gave an interview to Tom Friedman, the New York Times, saying, really, the Republican Party now suddenly concerned with the indecorousness of Twitter and and the people who use it? He's like, fuck off. Then, you know, that's 90 percent of the Republicans right there are gone. So, you know, Joe is, he's doing the smart thing. He's just kind of plowing ahead and paying no heed to the online lynch moms. And, and so, so, but, that, but that to me suggests or indicates that, you know, the era of Trump is coming to an end. And, you know, all, all the things that he's saying and all the kind of the sand he's throwing into the ether, it doesn't matter anymore. Even his, I think his fanatical following. I mean, the civil war never broke out. Touch wood, it's not going to. There haven't been acts of violence. Um, there have been threats of violence. You've had, you know, electoral workers, election workers, whatever they're called, having security details, including Republicans who are pro-Trump, who simply refuse to break the law to throw out votes. I think, by the way, I want to say, you know, put my hand up and salute um, the Republican um, election official in Georgia, um, yeah. and also the guy in Pennsylvania, both mm-hmm. of whom are Republicans, both of whom wanted Trump to win, who have been right. 
and they have uh, said, sorry, the rule of, you know, this is a fair vote. Uh, we've, our side has lost and we're going to honour that. And he's inviting um, um, the guy in Georgia who was really quite angry about it um, on the steps of whatever the state um, uh, capital was inside the government building in Georgia saying, come on, um, fair play is fair play. He, sorry, that's an English way of, uh, yeah. of putting it, but I thought it was beautiful. It was what I thought what would happen uh, that partly schooled and tutored by you, but I thought that um, the American belief in the rule of law would trump Trump. And I thought that Joe well, was going to win the Rust Belt states. And lo and behold, that's what's happened. By that, the way, that's the optimistic Hart. version. The cynical version is all of these lickspittles who were privy to party to a personality cult for four years have realized that their own careers, their own self-interest trumps Trump because Trump has lost. I mean, they, they understand reality when reality threatens to affect their bank account, right? I mean, this, is, this has always been the thing with these authoritarian regimes, including Mr. Putin's, which could be characterized as postmodern to an extent. They love to play with the idea of truth. You know, there's this, this almost kind of this critical theory notion of what is fact versus fiction. Everyone lies. We're lying to you and you know we are, but it doesn't matter because, you know, this is sort of the way the, the game is played. However, the one thing they all come back to the cold, brute, empirical reality of is money, right? So if like you're an election worker or if you're some kind of political figure, bureaucrat, and your job will be lost by defending this zombie corpse of an outgoing lame duck president, all of a sudden the MAGA hat comes off and you have your kind of moment from network, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And you make a great stand for democracy and the rule of law and all that. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. Even if it's the base, baser instincts of human nature at play here, keeping the Republic together, I'm okay with that. I didn't have any higher expectation than exactly that. And I want to see the GOP. I want to see them as a metaphorical circular firing squad. I want to see them cannibalize each other, attack each other. Already you've seen Roger Stone, attacking William Barr, the man who basically got Roger Stone off the hook, or at least reduced the, the sentence or the, yes. the indictment of him. I think it was the sentence, actually. And Roger Stone gets up and says, William Barr, you had one duty, one job, push back, destroy the deep state. And now by, by claiming, certifying that this was a free and fair election, there were no instances of fraud, you have become an enemy. I mean, what did you think a guy like Roger Stone, a man with a Richard Nixon fucking tattoo on his back, was going to do? <laughs> You know, he's he's basically treating William Barr like he treats the towel boy at his sex club in Miami. You know, service is rendered. Thank you very much. Now go fuck off. And here's a five dollar bill on your way out. You know, the, these, uh, these are these people. And this, this is the thing. This They have always been like this, but they had somehow hypnotized a big swath of the American electorate into thinking that they were martyrs or they were victims of some national security apparatus conspiracy or they were brave truth tellers speaking for the people against the so-called elites and now again my line is just look at these fucking people and even their their erstwhile fans and 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 advocates i think are realizing they're insane but you've got to look at it so 80 percent of people according to an opinion poll in the states believe that joe biden has won fair and square which means 20 percent right. don't that's yeah, but 
of the United States population, that's 60 million people. Sure. But, you know, there was a poll taken years on after 9-11, which found something like a third of the country didn't think Al-Qaeda flew planes into the buildings. It was an inside job. It was some kind of American concocted conspiracy. So you're always going to get that that sort of sizable plurality of nut jobs out there. And that's fine. 80% though, that's a pretty decent number for a country that has lost its collective mind over the last four years and is still in this grip of paranoia or coming out of this. It's, it's like being deprogrammed from a cult. You know what deprogramming is like. You covered Scientology, right? So I'll take 80% and I'll leave that 20% and, you know, let them, let them repair to Reddit and stay in their mother's basements and <laughs> grouse and grumble that, you know, Hillary Clinton is, is really a male reptile alien from Mars or whatever the fuck. I mean, I just, it doesn't matter to me as long as we kind of move, move on. on. The, but the real question though is, the real, and this is what worries me, because I am very pessimistic. Was Trump an aberration in the history of this country or was he a kind of caricatured, cartoonish um, version of the tendencies that we've already been experiencing and that we will continue to experience unto inexorable decline and fall? So in other words, can, Amer- can, this de- can this deterioration of America be halted or is Joe Biden simply, you know, a Band-Aid on, on a patient that is hemorrhaging? I don't know. And I have good days and bad days on that. This is a, a good moment uh, to drink to um, Botham's 80 series Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Kunawara because I am an optimist and... Um, I'm an optimist because one of my great heroes in life, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, is an optimist, and he's got a lot more problems than I've got. Cheers. So let's see if I if I start vomiting over the uh, keyboard, you'll know it's as bad. Mm. Mm. Yum. Well, why don't you Why don't you tell our three listeners that you're drinking this Australian wine in solidarity? Yes. So the reason our... I'm drinking I, normally I drink Italian red, and um, I, but I'm. This is really lovely. It's um, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of um, fruity with a a big fat nose, but it's fucking lovely. Anyway, um, the reason I'm doing this is... A sous-son of toilet water, as they say. (laughs) It's not. No, 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 no. It's (laughs) not. Don't uh, don't do that. There goes one of our advertisers. Perspective advertisers. (laughs) Uh, By the way, um, we we always forget to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're trying to make some money now, right? Well, no, the thing is that um, I love doing these chats because one, they're therapeutic. Number two, I kind of understand, I come away from them understanding um, what's happening in the United States better than I did before because you live there and you know it and you feel it and you, you understand stuff and you explain it beautifully. But also, I like a drink while kind of working um, mm. is my favorite thing to do yeah um, I'm, I'm working and i'm drinking which is always nice and um um anyway but it doesn't pay the rent so but if anybody out there like mr botham who i don't agree about brexiteer but i like his wine it's lovely or sip smiths or anybody wants to um, uh, sponsor this that'd be great that'd be funny the other thing is uh, i'm i'd say no to for example, the Chinese government, uh, if they, if the Chinese Communist Party wants to sponsor the, this podcast, the reaction would be, fuck you. And 
Also, we do Patreon. If you look at the doodah. The doodah being our Twitter account. Yeah, I can tell you it's it's simply patreon.com forward slash two boozy hacks. Yes, and so the two boozy hacks, if you've got $5 or $10, you can... If you've got money, more. But if you've got less, less. But a little bit of money to help us um, do this is nice. We'd probably do it anyway, but never mind. Um, uh, that's what we're saying. So the reason I'm drinking Australian wine against Italian wine, which is what I normally do and will do, is that the Chinese Communist Party have, react- have reacted ferociously to Australia's perfectly proper call for there to be an open an honest and proper international investigation into the origins of COVID. Mm. The Chinese have launched a trade boycott against Australia. And I'm also conscious, because I've reported on it for BBC Newsnight, there's a film out there somewhere, um, about the plight of the Uyghurs, which I did, I think, in uh, whenever it was, 2018, um, talking to two Uyghurs, um, who, these are the people, the Muslim Turkic people. Um, they look, many of them look um, like Afghans or um, Iraqis who live in the, the far northwest of China, Xinjiang, the new territories, that's what it means in Chinese, who are Muslim and they have been brutally treated and a monstrous crime is happening in Xinjiang. I'm also very conscious that a monstrous crime has been happening for much longer in Tibet. And and I am a passionate believer in free Tibet, or at least the freeing up of Tibet. So I don't like Australia. I've never been there. It's flat. It's full of horrible creatures, uh, awful spiders that kill you, uh, sharks that uh, bite you and kill you, crocodiles, saltwater crocodiles that kill you. Um, The art was really good about 20,000 years ago. And um, and the newcomers, frankly, they're all a bit common, a bit riffraffy. But the moment the Chinese Communist Party says to Australia, you shut up or we're not going to buy your wine, which is what they're doing, is the moment that I start drinking Australian wine. Because I don't like where China's going. I'm, and a bit of a the Chinese Communist Party is going. And so a reason for optimism is that, let me have a quick swig of this, is that I think there are many, many people like me who have happily accepted lovely Chinese uh, goods because they're so cheap. And the consequence has been the undermining of uh, manufacturing in Europe and the United States across the world. Mm. Now, until China gets it, the, 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 their kind of, uh, under President Xi, their regime is becoming less authoritarian and more totalitarian, certainly in the, the way it's dealing with, um, um, with proper decent cultures, the Uyghurs and the Tibetans, the way it's dealing with Hong Kong, the way it's dealing with the international rules-based order. We should start saying, you know, factories in Britain and Europe and the United States open up again because right. we've got trouble. We've got problems with the way China um, does things. Number one, the virus. Now, I'm not a subscriber to the conspiracy theories that this was 
a kind of made thing. It might have come out of a lab where they were in Wuhan, where they where they were looking at bat uh, bat to human viruses. That's a possibility. I understand mistakes. I'm not saying this is deliberate at all. I can completely see that it, it, you know these wet markets will they sell all manner of um, wild animals crazily and and revoltingly um, is the most likely source. But it's an absolute fact that the Chinese government was not open and honest with its international partners about the numbers. And it was only when the virus really hit Italy that we started understanding just how bad it was. And then afterwards, the Chinese government um, changed their numbers and you can actually see it because they were more open and more honest. That's not good enough in the modern world. It really isn't. So I'm a bit optimistic because Biden gets this and Biden is going to be tough in a realistic and smart way with China and push back. And I think all of us should, um, all of us who live in democracies need to be with that program. Uh, Secondly, I'm optimistic because it feels like this, what's happened the rise of populism from 2015 onwards was a, a kind of spasm reaction to the bankers' crash of 2008 in exactly the same way that um, when you had the, um, the Wall Street crash in 1929, there's a time delay. In this case, four years from uh, the Wall Street crash in 29 to uh, mass financial ruin in Germany and the rise of the Nazis, four years. What happened because we're better at this these days is that the good people, people like Gordon Brown, um, Obama, managed to soften the blow of the bankers' crash so that it wasn't as visceral and the timeline was longer. But nevertheless, in Britain, we had Brexit, and in the States, we had Trump, both of which, I believe, are a consequence of people's, of a, of a large mass of people who were angry with them, with their financial um, negativity flowing from the bankers' crash, which they blamed or with the and, argument and was put to them. The other thing I would say... Migrants, this was the fault of, of wokishness, of lesbian, da-da-da-da-da. And so they, this, is, this is what I keep coming back to, because you know, I'm not a fan of wokishness, and I, I, I don't understand the language being used by people only five to ten years younger than myself. And you're a baby. Um, How old are I'm you? I'm 40 years old, but you know, I, I, I grew up being told that you know, clear, concise language that, you know, Anglo-Saxon English means something. And, you know, you don't need to use jargon and these sort of academically fraught or weighted terms to try and express yourself. In fact, trying to do so, I mean, on this sense, I'm a, in this sense, I'm a strict Orwellian. Trying to do so is a way to muddle one's thinking, uh, whether it's your readers or your own, uh, because you don't, you're insecure about what you have to say, Right. And yet, you know, by the way, there's a problem with the adjective there, because you're a true disciple of George Orwell, but Orwellian means something else. No, it can mean both things. It can be okay. used in All both right. senses. It can. 
Um, okay, there's the politics of the English language sense of being an Orwellian, and then there's the 1984 sense of being Orwellian. But yeah, you know, we've sampled a bit of both lately. But no, no, it's, the thing, the thing that, that that sort of interests me as somebody who's written one history book and is now writing a second: cultural excesses, born of moments of crisis, anxiety, societal transformation, and fear, um, in the moment seem exactly that. They seem ex- excessive. They seem ridiculous. They seem the stuff of parody. They seem uh, almost sort of luxuries of a, of a civilization that is perhaps in this death spiral. However, in hindsight, they look to be, I'm not going to say wholly positive, but they look to be kind of an expression of something that becomes positive. So, you know, in the 60s, which you're old enough to have experienced, I sure. was not. Um, you know, all of the things that, that were seen to be a little bit silly, even whilst living in the 60s or, or right in the immediate aftermath, you know, rampant drug use, the free love. Uh, well, maybe that's not so silly, actually, but you know what I mean? The, the stuff that was parodied by the bourgeois. Out of this, out of the counterculture, out of, you know, the attendant real concrete political action, the civil rights movement, came many things. Uh, desegregation, uh, an end of the, the Vietnam War, uh, categorical reform of the military industrial complex and the ending of, of the draft. Um, the invention, and this might sound euphemistic because these bombs have killed innocent civilians, but they've killed fewer innocent civilians than their predecessor bombs would have done. But the invention of smart weaponry that targets combatants rather than just indiscriminately salts the earth. All of these things are net goods. And yet, as I say, born of movements or kind of moments of agitation that produce a lot of shit and froth. And so what we're seeing right now, I think, in you know this sort of rampant performative wokeness, which is largely a reaction to Trump, but also a largely a reaction to, I think, a sense of helplessness and insecurity in, in what we are as a country and society, um, I think ultimately will lead to you know more liberal-minded electorate. Um, I mean, right now, for instance, and I'm not saying, I'm not equating this with wokeness, but you can see how the two are correlated to some extent. Right now, it's, it's, it's you know, you, you have people who are opposed to gay marriage, but it is the law of the land in America. And it's, a, it's not a struggle that many people are, are willing to, to fight. It, it, you know, it, it's not a cause many people are willing to fight against anymore. You know, that's a lost cause. That's a lo- losing struggle to say two men can't be married or two women can't be married, right? So again, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that might've looked a bit silly, but right now that's just the, 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 the status quo in terms of our, our mores and our, our sense of morality. Um, so I don't know, you know, and this is where I might be, what, what's the word for it? Pess optimistic, as I've used before. Like I, at, right now I feel things are a bit miserable and ridiculous and self satirical, but down the line, they may improve. And then it'll take the work of real scholars to say, well, actually the stuff that you were mocking or found a bit naff 10 years back is what led to all of this. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not, you know, I mean, for instance, I don't, I didn't subscribe to the Occupy Wall Street movement. I'm not a fan of Democratic Socialists of America. I'm not a a great admirer of the so-called squad, but I can understand how 
the causes that they're championing, however hyperbolically or without real understanding of policymaking and government and coalition building, I can see how the mainstream or the establishment Democratic Party will dialectically take from the vanguard of the so-called progressive left that which is worth taking and leave the rest, leave the excess. Yeah. And that will have transformed American society for the better. Um, now, my fear is everything kind of becomes a runaway train. And we, you know, I mean, you saw, for instance, this week, Barack Obama give an interview in which he joins the ranks of the late John Lewis, great civil rights leader, um, James Clyburn, the congressman from South Carolina, who was almost single-handedly responsible for delivering Joe Biden the nomination. Oh, he's an and now Barack Obama. So three black American politicians, leaders, not just in their community, but national leaders, all come out and say slogans such as defund the police are politically toxic. And that's how we lose elections. And I, 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 can't, I can't agree more. I feel, well, we're, we're about... And yet that is not to say, by the way, because what they also said, and this is important, defund the police, the sloganeering of the, the far left does damage to Black Lives Matter, which is a more mainstream movement rooted in simply ending police brutality and discrimination, rampant racism within our institutions, which is a good thing. Most people will subscribe to that. Yeah. So, okay. You know, I mean, this is, this is a, another example of we've gone a bit too far, but the, the engine of history, if there is such a thing, or the engine of social change will take on board what is necessary and just leave the rest. Yes. No, I, I'm so, you know, I'm 62. I wake up in the middle of the night and need to go for a pee. And then what I've done too often these last four years is switch on Twitter and see that Trump's done, some, done something awful with Kim Jong-un or Erdogan or Putin or being horrible about, you know, talking about um, Nazis in Charlottesville with the p- people who are protesting against them as if they're the same. Mm. And, um, and then I can't sleep for the rest of the night. What's happening now is I wake up at four o'clock in the morning out of habit. I switch on my phone, I look at Twitter, and there's nothing there. And mm. then I, I, I play chess against myself a couple of times, and then I fall asleep. I'm sleeping much, much better because Trump is hold on power is, is receding. Yeah, it feels like that the um, that now. Well, the 2015, the five years of 2015 to 2020, were a time when the Germans and the British and the Americans switched sides. And the, the, the Germans were boring but fundamentally decent. And the British and the Americans both fell for the kind of populist nonsense, the kind of stuff that Hitler talked about in 33. I'm not comparing it with full-blown stuff, but but a sense of um, a proper patriotism denied um, that there are forces, hidden forces out to destroy us, this paranoia and this kind of, we've got to go back to how things were in the 50s, 60s, Etc. Etc. Now, 
that loss, for my money, loss of reason and that dark nostalgia seems to be burning out. Mm. And, um, um, uh, and also there's another thing too, is that Boris, Boris is doing well right now today because the Brits have, um, of the first to, to give a go to a vaccine. It's actually not the best vaccine because it's got to be carried uh, around the, uh, the country in minus 70, which makes it really difficult. And uh, there are the more efficient vaccines that can be uh, put in normal fridges are coming down the track. They'll be better and they're the big ones. Nevertheless, um, Boris has had a good day. It doesn't really, there is a fair point to make that Boris has never, has, has never been as bad as Trump. But nevertheless, Brexit and Trump were both, in my view, dark nostalgia. And it feels as though they're burning out and we're getting to a place. Now, I want the Republican Party to get back onto its feet in a normal way and start arguing their side of the argument that we've got to think about money, we've got to do stuff. It's never an argument I'm, um, I support in my life, but nevertheless, it's necessary to hear it said. I want them to get back on their feet. But I'm just looking at Trump. And Trump, isn't he going to toxify the rights of American politics for a generation? I mean, because if he's going to run again in 2024, what happens if another decent Republican candidate pops up and then Trump screws them, then yeah. goes in power forever, however right. gaga he may be? Yeah, no, he, he will be the wrecking ball for the party. But, you know, then again, John, I mean, all right. The pragmatist in me says, sure, yeah, it'd be nice if, you know, Lindsey Graham kind of woke up in his bed in Kansas and said, Auntie M, you know, and you were there and you were there and pretended like it was all just a weird fairy tale <laughs> dream. And Marco Rubio, you know, remembered back when, when he compared, when he said Donald Trump had a tiny dick and instead of, you know, talking about how Florida was this MAGA wave waiting to happen, which kind of sort of was. But anyway, I mean, I, but then the other side of me says, no, fuck them. I mean, look what they've done. Look what they spent the last four years doing. You know, you have to be accountable to your country, to first to your constituencies, but also ultimately to your country. And I don't think they were patriots. I don't think they put America and its interests first. They put, you know, the interest, the, the, the interests of the, the ideological kind of edifice of their party first. Um, and I don't respect that and I don't admire that. And, you know, look, this is not to say, I, I, we've talked before, I'm not a huge Joe Biden booster. I mean, I, I kind of, I resigned myself. I'm fine with him as an alternative to Trump. I would have been fine with almost anybody. Um, and I, I well know that, you know, within the space of probably weeks, if not months, I'm going to start criticizing democratic policymaking, especially on foreign policy. And that's fine, you know, because, that's just, but that in itself is a return to a kind of normalcy that has been lost over the last four years. Mm. We just wake up every day demoralized, exhausted, not really wanting to have arguments with people because you can't. Because to have an argument, you need to have some common basis of understanding, some common consensus of what the facts are. Uh, and that that has been absent, you know. And I will say, and, and this to my point earlier about excesses, you know, turning these vices into virtues. It's been a bit hyperbolic on the left or the anti-Trump so-called resistance, you know, I mean, every day, 
comparisons of this guy to the Third Reich or, you know, oh, we were having our crystal knocked moment because he's tweeting out conspiracy theories about Dominion voting machines, a bit, a bit much. However, um, the fact that we're doing it and the fact that that, that sort of bespeaks having learned a lesson from not too distant history and what we can succumb to if we don't kind of build up this, you know, sort of impenetrable citadel for our own national psyche, this is where democratic politics can lead. It can lead to totalitarianism if you allow it. You know, Timothy Snyder, he's over the pudding in arguing this case, but I'm kind of glad that he has because it's, it's made people terrified. It's made them anxious. It's made them a bit neurotic. And again, it's all well and good to make fun of them when they go on a bit too much uh, and they become almost caricatures of this, but I'm glad for the fact that they're going in that direction because it, 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 it has built up an immune system here and it has kind of saved American democracy. So this is what I mean, you know? Uh, and I look, I, I, I like good satire and I, I've seen plenty of, of rather scathing and hilarious critiques of the resistance left, but um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I think we're better off for having had it, you know? Um, I wrestle with that. Well, certainly, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. That's not what I mean, though, by resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not the... Re- so he was, I think, um, um, an acolyte for the Conservative Party. I mean, just the other day, there's a vote on um, on the tiers, which is a kind of uh, regional... Some regions in Britain are going to be more locked down than others because they've got more virus cases. And it's a reasonable way of, of, of addressing the problem that it's worse in some parts of the country than others. Mm. And basically uh, uh, the public, in terms of opinion polls, and um, most MPs are going along with it. There was a rump of the Tory um, right who said, no, we don't want this, we're not voting for this, and they were supported by 12 or 13 Labour MPs, one of whom was Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. Wasn't that, there's your red-brown nexus. The same well, people- yeah, I mean, you know, how many times we talk about the, the, the strange ideological framework of a Seamus Milne? I mean, yeah. you know, going to Valdai, moderating a panel with Putin... And then coming back and writing, you know, Russia, which is heading in a fascistic direction, which is, has institutional homophobia, which is aligned with actual neo-Nazi parties throughout yeah. Europe, yes. which is yeah. annexed and invaded and annexed sovereign European soil in an Anschluss, citing blood and soil nationalism as its as its raison yeah. d'etre. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. can that be an ally of a of a well? I mean, I, I guess it can be an ally of a Stalinist, but how can that? be the the sort of mothership if you like of anti-imperialism and and sort of left-wing politics and it's just this bizarre fusion moment where left and right sound very much alike on a lot of things i I grew um i mean it was pathetic how many times when i was at the bbc i pitched can we have a go can i have a go at seamus mill and that they were afraid to do so. Yeah. Now it, it it feels that with the 
the election of Joe Biden, common sense has come back, has come back. And again, I salute the Republicans who've, who've got this. And I feel that they, there is something, there is still a belief in evidence and the rule of law. It's exciting that our clever scientists have, 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 have come up, uh, and I'm, it's across the world, but they've come up with um, a vaccine that works. So it feels like kind of decency and rationality and, um, and fairness and thick, clear, considered. Now that's, that's, that's too Pollyannish. I'm sorry. My friend. Not, anyway, well, fuck it. I mean, uh, I don't see that, man. I still see. I mean, you're talking about the Uyghurs. You'll see genocide denialists all over social media. Yeah, and this is the thing. Where, where have the Corbynistas gone? They are politically irrelevant, but they have repaired to their sort of dank and fetid corners of the internet to scream stab in the back theories and conspiracy mm. theories and the Jews and the media done it. And, and you know what, but that, that's where they belong. That, that's where they belong. I mean, Corbynism has devolved into, you know, a, a kind of alt media startup blog with a Patreon account saying, we'll tell you the real truth, why we didn't win and why our man isn't prime minister. And you know what? Fine. You know, in, in their end is their beginning. Uh, that's fine. And Trump, if you take the long view of things, and I've been talking to a lot of Europeans about this, because in the last four or five years, there's been this acknowledgement that, okay, it's, we cannot rely, meaning the Europeans cannot rely on the United States anymore. America is not the security guarantor of the post-war order. The Europeans have to have a kind of sovereign security pact. And that hasn't gone so well. You've got Macron with his sort of de Gaulleist ambitions, locking horns with Angela Merkel, not being successful in challenging a fellow NATO member of Turkey and various spheres of conflict and geopolitical um, dispute. And so for me, perhaps the lesson of Trump is, okay, Europe, you know, you've seen what America can become. You, you've seen that we can have our moment of political crisis. Don't you prefer us still as that security guarantor? Don't you still look to us and hope that, you know, we never have this kind of fever dream again? Uh, and in that sense, can you now align with us a little more readily and a little more heartily on certain things? I, I don't think that 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 is going to happen, but at least he's gone to check on his dinner again. Uh, sorry, that's my. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your your spag bowl made with fake plant protein meatballs <laughs> or whatever the fuck you're putting in these things now? It's uh, it's roast lamb. Oh, okay, that sounds in theory, in principle, that sounds. Yummy, but you're going to tell me you make it with like Jello or something? And no, fuck off. I actually, um, I'm I'm quite good at the roast lamb, or rather, I, it's hard to fuck it up. Um, I do feel I I that phrase you used there, Mike, was beautiful. The fever dream that you've been through. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a fever dream, and it does feel like I'm looking at the. Um, uh, Declan Lorne, who's been a guest of the this show mm -hmm. when it was um, audio only, 
oh, and by the way, I'm going to uh, sort this out so you can watch it or listen to it, uh, whichever is your preference. But my friend Declan, who was one of the, um, with um, Adam Patterson, was one of the wonderful um, screenwriters of the Salisbury Poisonings, was a lovely and talented Irishman. But he, um, we were talking the other day, uh, partly about Biden, and he said it feels like the arc of, of kind of justice is, is working again, that it feels like, you know, you do bad, something bad will happen to you. That, that kind of simple understanding that we've always, that I was brought up to believe in, is back in fashion. Mm. And um, at, at the moment we're, we're locked in Brexit, it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. But Brexit was, it's depressing, I'm a Remainer, Brexit was never as depressing or as dark as Trump. And it's so good, I think, for the rest of the world um, that our American friends have got their marbles back. And to that, I salute the United States and at least anyway, one member of it who's sitting in his shabine in um, Queens. <laughs> Deepest Queens, yeah. I love how you think I'm some bellwether of, of kind of the American psyche. I'm this like malcontent asshole in the outer boroughs of New York. I am the liberal elitist of Donald Trump's sort of bogeyman construction. And I just think, usually I think everything's gone to shit, but occasionally I have moments of optimism or, or bright spots. See, the other thing is this, if, if you look at Trump as a kind of a scarecrow come to like, life of what America can become, and then kind of deanimated back into, do the Europeans take the opposite view and say, right, it happened once, it can happen again. We need to pull away from the United States and we do need to get our stuff together and, and kind of create this cohesive continental security framework. The problem is I don't think they can, even if they wanted to, because they're at odds with each other. You know, Europe whole and free is one thing, but Europe united in common cause that's a very different order. Look at Germany versus France right now. I, I, I feel pained and sad that, um, that Europe is not as united as it can be. There's a lot of history that explains it, and I understand it. Yeah. I understand why the Germans can't be on the front foot of national or kind of continent national security, if you like. They can't be on the front foot of that, and therefore... It's got a step behind France, but France has got its own slightly weird nationalistic agenda. And we were wonderful, um, Britain, as being a kind of honest go-between, or at least a kind of wry and half-amused go-between, knowing our history of the Second World War, that we can, um, we've got a good record on this. And we've, yeah. we've plotted our copybook and we fucked up. And, but this is a subject... Um, of a, another podcast um, in the not too distant future, but for now, I'm drinking Australian wine. I'm toasting uh, the United States' return to sanity. You've been listening to the last call. Do plug in again. <laughs>